welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Often I feature world-renowned hairdressers on the podcast, and other times I like to feature lesser-known people from the industry that have great success stories that are not only relatable, but they're every bit as inspiring. Some of the guests on the podcast have lavish salons and high-profile clients and high-profile locations that charge big money for their services. But the problem is that often I find that that actually isolates some of the listeners and they say or think to themselves, well, I can't do that in my small town. That's just not going to be possible. Or they have all sorts of excuses to justify their shortcomings, ranging from things like saying that Amazon has destroyed retail for salons or, you know, blaming the current economic situation that the world is in. And while I'm not discounting any of that, I also meet salons that despite everything, they're doing really well. And so as part of the comeback series of podcasts, my guests today are Sonia Gettinger and Ali Daring, who are two of the partners in Hollywood Hair, which is a group of three salons based in Centralia, which is a town of 12,000 people in Illinois. And in two of the salons, they each are producing well over a million dollars a year. And close to 20% of that is in retail sales. And when it comes to profit, they aim for 20% profit margin, and that's after the owners have been paid. So in other words, they have a very successful business, despite the fact that their main salon is in a town of 12,000 people. So in today's podcast, we're going to discuss the impact that COVID has had on them, the upside and downside of social media, the key to successful expansion, and building a salon team, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Sonia Gettinger and Ali Daring from Hollywood Hair. Good morning, Anthony. Thank you, Anthony. It's really good to have you guys on the show. I know uh, that you're going to be very relatable for all of our audience, uh, no matter whereabouts their salons currently are. So let's start off. Um, Sonia, could you uh, start off by giving us an overview of your background? Who, who is you know, Sonia and Ali? And give us a quick overview of Hollywood Hair, and then we can dig in further. Okay. Well, we opened, I opened Hollywood Hair about 28 years ago in Centralia, Illinois. And I found through the years, some marvelous teammates. So about two and a half years ago, we opened our second location about 45 minutes away. And then just a year ago, we opened our third location about 20 minutes from that location. So we're all within 45 minutes of each other. And I also had the opportunity and the awesome staff to bring on three of my teammates to be partners with me. And one of them's with me today, and it's Allie. So before we open these other two locations, we actually have four business partners. And um, I think that we all bring something different to the table. And that's a part of why we have this and moving forward with our vision uh, what she created about 28 years ago, and our goals are definitely to have about five locations minimal within the next three years, and just keep moving forward to create great homes for stylists to grow and build a career in. 
Okay, fantastic. Well, I can remember talking to Sonia, it doesn't seem that long ago, uh, when she had one salon, and it was a successful salon, very successful salon. And I was always intrigued by it because I know that uh, that two, uh, two out of three of your salons are in small towns. I mean, uh, your, your, your main salon in Centralia uh, is a, it's got a population of about 12,000 people. Now, that in itself isn't that abnormal, but it's the numbers that you managed to do out of that salon, which is uh, definitely abnormal because, I mean, I know before we started recording this, you said that the, the two of those salons are million-dollar-plus salons already um, in a town of 12,000, you know, odd people. So that is a fantastic, um, you know, performance. And I know that you're um, pretty consistently knocking on the door of about 20% of your total sales in retail. And so those sort of numbers really make people sit up, you know, no matter where you're from. And, uh, you know, our conversations that we've had um, over the years, I know that you always have come up with some some great initiatives, some great marketing initiatives, et cetera. And um, I know at one point we had a conversation about the concierge service that you were offering, which sounds like something that you do in a big luxury five-star, you know, salon in the middle of, you know, New York or, or, or Rodeo Drive or in London or something. But you've got this you know, really good take on marketing, which makes it applicable everywhere. Because I think no matter where clients are, they all want good service. And if they all get good service, they're very happy to, you know, to spend money, etc. So one of the things that you do, this concierge chair side checkout, tell us what, what that's all about and, uh, and what sort of benefits you've seen from that. Well, we've been doing the concierge service for about two years. And something that was awesome during COVID was, is when we came back, we already were doing, you know, uh, you didn't have to go up and pay. You could pay at the chair if you wanted to. We already had all that in place. So it was simpler for us just to put the tap the card and pay or self pay. We already had it rolling. So that worked really well in our favor coming back from COVID. Uh, the other thing that we do for concierge is, is uh, as soon as the front desk key is, as soon as our blow dryers shut off, we have the person blow dried, we're starting to style. They come over and they set up their next visit. And they say, as a VIP service at this salon, which also goes in and plays with Hollywood hair, as a VIP service at this salon, we automatically set up your next visit was this day and time good for you? And I saw you were here about five weeks ago. And so we, our reschedule rates are 80 to 100% every day. Wow. And um, are then, as soon as they're finished setting the guest up, then they step back and the stylist tells them what they use on them. So they prepare that up front. So when we go up front, because I personally see the same guests over and over every four weeks. So it's hard to come up with something new and different that they need to purchase so what I do is I tell them what I used and then they set it up there. And when I walk up with the guest, I say, what out of these products that you're using at home are you currently out of? And so it will remind the customer that they needed hairspray or they needed mousse and sometimes they need everything. So it not only holds the stylist accountable to the take home, which I think has really helped our take home numbers, but it helps the guests so they don't leave because how many times have they came in going to purchase hairspray? And they walk out and forget. So then okay. they end up picking it up at the supermarket. Yeah. So so the the chairside checkout, they don't actually take their bill there. 
they still do. So it's more the pre-booking stuff is done at the at the chair side, but taking the bill and retail sales are still done at the reception desk. Yeah, it is. But we also have the opportunity now with self-pay that they can, and especially if people are in a hurry, we yeah. say, well, you know what? Let's go ahead and get you what you are going to take with you. Let's get it wrapped up, and then Jen can send you the self-pay link. So you can put your information in and self-pay while you're sitting here in the chair. So we yeah. can do it both ways now. Right. Okay. And you do that in all three salons? Yes. Right. Okay, cool. All right. Well, it, you just touched on the whole COVID thing. Um, I remember talking to you at the very beginning of COVID and, you know, we had some interesting conversations there uh, about social media, et cetera, which I'm going to dig into in a few minutes. But um, did you lose any staff when you've reopened? You, you are open, aren't you? Like in uh, in Illinois, you don't you don't have any lockdown going on. It's it's interesting all over the world. It's different now. Like different. We've just gone back into lockdown in the UK. We have another month of lockdown until the second of December. Um, so from what I gather, you're not on lockdown. No, we are not. And we lost two team members. But while we were on COVID. Uh, the other three owners and I, Allie, Jess, and Abby got together and we did virtual, we were, we reached out and we actually hired staff and we did virtual um, interviews. interviews with them. Wow. And so it was really cool. So we actually hired people while we were on lockdown. And when we came back, they came back with us. Okay, so perfect. Yeah. What well, what about clients? Did you did you find there were any clients that you lost because of COVID that didn't want to come back into the salon? We still have some that are coming in. In fact, last Tuesday I was at our silo location and we had three guests that had not had their hair done since January. So right. there's still people coming back in, but the really cool thing that happened to us was is we are wearing masks, we do do the temperature checks. We sanitize every chair, every, we, we bring out only what we're going to use on you at that time. And then as soon as we're finished, we clean everything up. We bring out new, we have gotten new clients because other salons are not following the safety protocols that we're following. Okay. Are you marketing specifically from that angle? Cause I know you always are doing great marketing initiatives. Is there, is there any marketing initiatives you've put in uh, or are you just relying on, you know, those clients talking about how professional and efficient it is in the salon? We have done a little bit of marketing about it, but we also don't want to be known as the cleanest salon in America. We want to be known as the funnest, the trendiest, the, the best hair. So, being the cleanest or the most safety precautious wasn't really one of our goals. Right. We are doing all of that though. Sure. Okay. If you did have to go into lockdown again, uh, and who knows what the future holds for any of us, uh, but if you did have to go into lockdown, what would you do differently because of having gone through it once already and then reopened? Is there anything you'd do different? Yeah, I think there's several things we do different. I think that, um, maybe do a once a week or once every two week check-in with the clients. We yeah. did check in with them, but I don't know that we checked in with them quite enough because I think people are really suffering and we need to make sure that we're still their people. Yeah. We did do that through social media. We reached out to them a lot, but I still think especially older clients, they could have heard from us a little more. Right. I think that we had weekly zoom meetings with our staff. I felt like we did that great. I felt like financially we were prepared. So 
we did a lot of things that I think we would continue to do. But maybe the biggest thing I would say, reach out to those older clients and make sure they know that we're still here and we care about them. Yeah. Yeah. Because I suppose the majority of them weren't on social media. Is that what? Yeah. So yeah. it's a case of picking up the phone or whatever. Okay. Well, well, let's talk about social media. Um, I know, uh, Ali, that you're, you take a big role in the social media in the company. Um, t- tell me about that. Talk about how social media's impacted on, on the business. I mean, you know, I know Instagram's just had its 10th birthday, uh, you know, so it hasn't been with us for that long. Um, and it's completely, you know, sort of revolutionized our business. Um, what, what sort of impact has social media had on you and your business? Well, Anthony, with our social media having three different locations, we do have two main girls that work on the salon team that also do all of our social media. So it can be um, any of the posting of things that we're doing, any take home, any promotions or marketing. But I think that the biggest thing is we make it look fun. Like what Sonia said, how she wants us to be more of a fun salon. We look fun and I think it keeps the clients excited to see what we're doing. Um, We do quite a few polls and things to get clients involved to see like what they're interested in, what's really working and what they're watching on our social media. And I do see where it, our influence helps to get more salon staff involved and even recruit new people because we look so fun as a guest or to be uh, somebody to work with. So I do think that our social media is really strong and we try to have a lot of fun with it and tell a story. Yeah. Uh, Well, I remember when we spoke at the beginning of this year, at the beginning of COVID, the, you know, the, your first lockdown, and uh, you were telling me then about a lot of the stuff that you were doing on social media that was getting really high engagement with with uh, clients. And you were sort of showing, I, I, I can't even remember exactly what it is, but you were talking about what you were doing at home and clients loved seeing that side of you at home. Talk to us about that a bit. That would be um, any of those how-tos, anything that's going to be thumb stopping as you're scrolling, what catches your attention? Maybe it's how you prepare for bed, what your skincare regimen is. I think that that really helped. And we encouraged our team while they had this downtime to show their guests how to curl their hair with some of the tools that we have in the salon. So that way they have a face that they're familiar with instead of having to go to YouTube or another source to figure out how to do these certain looks. Um, And then that also just helped create more of a, that relationship as an expert. Yeah. Did you find that it it drives uh, retail sales or tool sales in the salon by doing that on social? Absolutely. We have really been focusing on watching our take-home percentage for every stylist on the team. And we are hitting at the average of the 20%. I think we just did our numbers for through uh, October. And our least percentage for per stylist was 14%. So we're pretty proud of that. Uh, and we're working on those that were 14%. And yeah. I really think that they can up their game. We had fallen off because we had lost sight of what was important to the business. And we were more worried about safety and uh, just getting day to day. And I call it making the donuts, you know, and sometimes we got to regroup and rethink, Hey, now profit and for the salon definitely comes from our take home. And then also 
great customer service comes from our take home. So yeah. if we're if we start to lose ground a little bit, like one salon is at 18% right now, we're losing a little bit of ground and you know everybody's hollering well everyone wants to buy it on Amazon or through the internet. I don't believe that. No, I believe exactly. that they'll get it from you even if it's a little bit higher, they'll still get it from you because they want to support you, but you yeah. have to put it out there and give them the opportunity to purchase it. Yep. Yeah. You, you're, you're proof of that. I mean, the average out there in the US, the UK, Europe, it's all pretty much the same. Australia is statistically probably a little bit ahead. They'll often talk about salons there having on average, you know, over 10%, 10, 12% of their total revenue. Uh, whereas in the UK, US, you'll frequently hear numbers spoken of about five or six or 7% tops. So you'll double that and uh, easily. Your bad people are double that. Uh, your really good people are almost triple that. And, you know, what, what that means, you know, from a business point of view, I mean, I was thinking about this before I got on the call because I knew what your retail numbers were, is that, you know, you, you've got a million-dollar salon and you're saying – or more than one million-dollar salon – and you're saying 20% of one salon's uh, 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 sales is generated through retail or up to 20%, close to 20% for ease of maths. So that's – you know, out of a million bucks, that's 200,000 is coming from retail. Now, now, we all know there's a cost of that retail, right? but like, let's just for nice round numbers, so there's a 100% markup. Um, th there's still 100,000 gross profit generated from retail. I mean, that's a Mercedes sat in your driveway as a salon owner. And you, you look at other salon owners and you go, don't you get it? Can't you see how much money you're leaving on the table because of essentially not giving really good customer service? Because ultimately, talking about home hair care is about customer service, isn't it? So I, I, I salute you for the numbers that, that you're achieving there. And, and I know a lot of people hide behind that, the, the Amazon thing, saying everyone wants to buy it on Amazon. No, they don't. You know, A percentage of people will buy a percentage of stuff on Amazon, but we will all still buy stuff from stores as well, especially if you know we, we build a relationship with a hairdresser that we know, like, and trust that recommends something to us. So uh, there you go. I've gone into seminar mode <laughs> because hey, I'm pretty Andy. passionate about it. We've had a few customers come in and take a picture of what we were using on them. Yeah. And we all are in the back room whispering to each other, oh, no, they didn't. Because we know, you know, they can purchase it on Amazon. Yeah. And uh, we're not happy with that. Of course, it's not very many. Because yeah. I really feel like people actually in this small town that don't come to us and get a service, they will still come in and purchase, take home from us because they know we're never out of it. Yeah, Our shelves yeah. are stocked. We have it where it looks nice. It looks like we're a place to purchase your take-home. Yeah. Whereas other salons don't have anything on their shelves. So people will leave other salons and come here and get their hair care, which we're proud of that. Yeah, I'm sure you are, and you should be too. Let, let's get back to social media for a minute. Um, how do you manage and set guidelines around social media? Because that's an area a lot of challenges you know, come up for with different salons. Ali, do you want to talk to that? Well, we do have, we ask that you keep your social media professional. Um, we had a funny story. Whenever I first started working with this team, I had a guest that said, hey, now you post all kinds of crazy things. Or actually told Sonia that that Ali posts all kinds of crazy things on Facebook. Bad words. She said, I can't follow her anymore. So that kind of put our social media into a, a more of a structured, you know, post something fun, 
be sure that you're still you on your social media, but of course you're representing the salon as expected. And I don't feel that we have any challenges or struggles with that. I feel everybody still keeps very professional posting things about their family and keep themselves relatable. So they're not just a stylist, not just Hollywood hair, but just knowing that that's all together. So, so how do you work it? Does every stylist have, like, if I came to work for you, is it, is it that you say to me that my Instagram or whatever is going to be Anthony at Hollywood hair? Is it something like that? Like, like how do you, how do you control it? Or is it, or is it just, I'm allowed to have my own Instagram account? We, yeah, you can definitely have your own. We do have in our handbook, of course, some of the more spelled out guidelines, but no, you, we want everybody to still be their own. Just remember who you're representing and who you're trying to attract is what we're always trying to think about. And, you know, if we want the the bougie babes or the professional guys, the clients that are going to come in and spend the right amount of money that care about how they look, that are going to need to come back and get their hair done every four to six weeks. Just remember that as you're posting and, and creating yourself, your brand with, with us in mind. Sure. Okay. So, so Sonia, you know, for someone who's been in the industry 28 years, I mean, obviously a big part of that was without social media and now you have social media. What are the ups and downs for you? What's, what's been working or not working for you as far as social goes? Well, social, social media has definitely changed the advertising game as far as price because, you know, it's basically free. But with that came some challenges recently. And I heard from other salon owners that they'd had the same challenge. So I wanted to bring it up because uh, we learned a lot. And I think from anything that happens to you in your business, if you don't take notes and learn what you need to work on, then you're just spinning your wheels. You're just Mm -hmm. never getting ahead. I'm on a lot of social media platforms with salon owners and I see them ask questions and I so bad want to write in there, but you know, take all day to explain what I want to say to them. And, you know, we just had a a couple of girls leave our salon. Uh, One left on her own. She was leaving and we had another one that was going to go too. And we knew she was, but she was also going to take a few more with her. So we had to let her go. Well, they went on social media. And so social media isn't always awesome and and the best thing that ever happened to you it was really sad i mean we were for two weeks it was like a dark cloud floated over all of our heads but we they went on social media they said all kinds of negative things about the salon a lot of things they said about me i didn't know that i was even capable of doing all of that (laughs) but uh, apparently you know in their mind i was and then people that had worked for me over the last 28 years you know, some people had worked for me one day, I didn't even know them. And they have a story to tell about me also. So how I knew that was, is the guests, uh, they were fighting for us and they were on there and I had to message them privately and tell them, let the story go, please. Let's all just be quiet because I believe being silent is a response and people that get it will get that response. So for two weeks, we put our all three salon teams on lockdown. We didn't let them go on social media and we kind of let it pass. We got 97 one-star reviews in one night. And out of the 97 people, only six had ever been in any of the three locations. 
So Allie's boyfriend did us a great feat and he went to Google, Yelp and Facebook and said, Hey, you know, how can three salons go from a five-star rating to a four-star rating in one night with 97 reviews from people that haven't never been in the salon? So he got a lot of them taken off, which we greatly appreciated. And um, we learned a lot. We got together as a team and I said, instead of us blaming the two girls that went on social media and just really hacked us, hacked into us, let's figure out what we could have done different not to have that outcome. And Mm -hmm. one of the things where we realized that we're three salons and we don't have an HR department. We don't have anybody checking in with our team on a daily basis. We're here with them. You know, there is one owner in every salon every day. We have managers at each location, but we felt like we could still do more to get to know our people better and uh, service them better because ultimately the staff are our guests, our owner, the owner's guests. And so we've changed some things and we're going to do things a little different. So hopefully we can get back to believing in social media and thinking it's yay, 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 rah, rah, rah. But right now we're a little sketchy with it okay. and holding well, back. That's- yeah, that is uh, that's a terrible story. But yeah, it, it's you know it's interesting that the learnings that have come out the other end of it. I mean, I um, when I first spoke to you, I don't know how long ago it was. I'm thinking it was probably five years ago. And I asked you a question, and the question was, what would your staff say was the best thing about working for you, or it was something like that? And you said that I'm an Indian as well as a chief meaning that you roll your sleeves up, you get behind that chair and you pump all day long, you know, seeing clients. Now, at that point, you only had one salon. Do you still do that with three salons now? I do, yes. Yes. Okay. And, you know, um, the staff has made it possible for me to do that and also having three other people because we, we feel like we're right here with you so we know your struggles, we know what's going on. Uh, I mainly do hair at Centralia Salon. I have a huge clientele. I really don't want to let them go. I I love them and they spend a ton of money with us. Yeah. So, you know, I haven't felt like it was time for me to back away from the chair too much. And as long as we also, you know, something we didn't tell you in the beginning was is after COVID, we went to six hour shifts, which has really helped us for owners because we're still doing that 10 hour day in the salon, 10 to 12 hour day, but then we have more time to manage the salon. The staff seems to love the six hour shifts. They're on, they're on their game. They come in ready to work, you know? So I don't know. I think that's really helped us. And we want to continue that. We want to keep our six hour shifts. Yeah. Have you done uh, more late nights? You know, so you have two different shifts that spread over, spread over a longer day, but no one's in there the whole day. Yeah. Right. We and we had to do that because you know they sent us to fifty yeah. percent capacity. Yeah. So that's why we started it, but we see that it works. You know, yeah. and, and we feel better about our business because we have more time to to operate it. Yeah. So w- with your expansion from one salon to all of a sudden, I know it's not all of a sudden, but it's during the time of our relationship. I knew you with one salon and then I spoke to you again at the beginning of this year. Bang, you've got three salons. Um, and with what you just told me about social media, you, you sort of said, you know, I realized that one of the learnings that came out of that is that we don't have an HR department. 
you know, because when you've got one salon and it's you and you're there 24 seven, so to speak, you don't really need an HR department because everything's going through you. But now you've got three locations. You've got uh, uh, three or four partners in the business. Uh, you've got more team members. You're spread over different, you know, geographical locations. All of a sudden, things like that become like, hey, I didn't anticipate this, but I need to do this. So, so, so talk to me about that. I mean, it's one thing having the, um, uh, whatever the term is, you know, the, the realization that you need an HR department. But what does that look like? How has that changed your role or Ali's role in in the salon to, you know, to make sure that that sort of thing's being covered as you've grown? Well, something that came to light was is the problems with those girls that left. There were problems, but we hadn't documented it. We talked to them. We talked it over amongst each other. In fact, it was topic of our conversation. Yeah. One girl was branding herself for a year, just herself, not Hollywood hair, just her. Yeah. And we knew it and we were aware of it and we saw it, but we didn't do anything about it because it was easier just to, you know, overlook yeah. the call-ins. One of them called in a lot and uh, we realized, no, we're, we're getting to be a big business where we have to start writing down and giving them, say, you miss three days in a month with no doctor's note or, you know, you're on notice. Yep. You miss another day, you're off for a week, and then you miss another day after that, you don't work with us anymore. You know, so there were signs that we should have stopped it before it even got to where it was. So I totally take the whole blame for what happened. Uh, we could sit back and blame those two girls. You know, they're young girls. They'll probably look back on that in 20 years. At least I hope they will and say, wow, you know, we did that to people because it was very, very mean. Mm. And, but then again, we should have, we learned because yeah. we're owners now that we have to change some things. So we have done that. We have now where if you're late, we talk to you the first time, the second time we document the third time, you take a few days off and then the fourth time, you know, maybe we're not the right fit yeah, for you. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, I mean, my, I always say that my ultimate management mantra is that when, when stuff happens, i.e. what's just happened to you, that what you're meant to do is you're meant to, you're meant to be upset. I mean, you know, it's upsetting, isn't it? When that happens, but you can't turn that into being bitter and twisted. And so what you've got to do is exactly what you've done, which is say, okay, what am I going to learn from this? So that it either doesn't happen again, or I can at least limit the damage when it does happen again. Yeah. So, so good on you. So on, on that note, I mean, I knew you, I knew you wanted to expand, you know, because we'd spoken about it in our conversations. But the question I want to ask you is, is at what time, at what point do you know that it's the right point to open a second salon? Well, the first salon was, you know, probably 85, 90% booked. You mm -hmm. know, we were hitting pretty much as many people as we can see a day and still give good service, keep the salon clean. The other thing was, is we'd been in a small town and I really wanted to see what doing business in a bigger area was like. I wanted mm -hmm. to see if we had to put in the same amount of effort, if we had to, you know, deal with the same things. And the answer is no, you don't. It's totally different. It's a totally different business totally different type clients that are coming in. Uh, people don't, you know, we're in a, a place where there's an air force base 
and the people are, they roll in and they stay about a year and then they roll out and new people roll in. So it's constant turnover. You okay. don't get the client loyalty like the Centralia Salon has, but people are people and they want good service. Yeah, And they yep. want you to remember their name. They want you to know how to do great hair. I mean, that's anywhere you go. That is one thing that we learned. You know, it, it's mainly about customer service and doing really good hair. Yeah, exactly. What, what do you wish you'd known before you opened a second business? Whenever um, our second one opened, we were ready to roll because we were going to um, one of the schools to recruit. And we were so far away. We were about an hour away from the city. So we were having a hard time finding stylists that would want to come work in a Paul Mitchell focused salon. So that was a part of why we opened salon number two. So we could create a, a business model, just like what we had here over closer to the schools in that area. And um, it, it worked well. And the, the tricky thing, what I was sharing with Sonia was when we opened salon three, it was all about timing. We wanted to open another. Um, it was about a year and a half after we opened salon location number two. We opened location number three because we had a, a salon owner that kept reaching out to Sonia saying, hey, come look at my space. I can't open anymore. She had um, a health issue and she had to close the salon and all of her team had went and found new homes. Mm -hmm. So she was messaging Sonia and she would text us, what do you guys think about this? And we're like, oh, heck no. Well, timing was everything and the salon was set up. It was move-in ready. We uh, basically turned key and moved in within 48 hours. And we had a smaller staff that started out working there. And even still, it's it's our smallest space, but there's about six um, teammates that are there every day. And it's, it's going very, very well. Good. You know, Anthony, to add to that, I think the biggest thing that I would change, which we felt like we had it great, but we didn't. And that was our systems. All of the systems that we had at salon number one, we took to salon number two. And now we've taken over to salon number three, but we're constantly revisiting them because we see that we need to make sure that all three salon systems for new people, new hires coming in, that we are doing them justice, that mm -hmm. we are getting them ready as quick as possible to be great hairdressers behind the chair. And we've had a little issue with that. You know, like some people come in and they seem like they're just ready. And that they're good to go. But what about the ones that aren't? Because not everybody's ready. So I think our systems needed a little more tweaking. So anybody that's looking on opening a second one, they need to make sure everything as far as the key going into the door and turning it to open needs to be a system. It needs to be wrote down. And everybody that comes on board needs to be aware of it and yeah. not where to find it. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, what's the key to successful expansion? But I think you've just answered it, haven't you? That's all what about, we're finding. Yeah, yes. it's all about systems. It's all about systems. So, you know, the other thing that, that you've made really clear with this is that you've expanded with existing staff members. So, so how does that work? Do they come to you and say, Sonia, I've been here six years, seven years, 10 years, whatever it is, and I want my own salon, um, you know, uh, and you expand with them because of that, or or do you choose them? I mean, tell me what that looks like. How does that? How do you arrive at the fact that we've opened a third, and maybe we're going to open a fourth and a fifth, and who we're going to do it with, and what, what does that look like? You know, with the three girls that that I'm with, 
we, I watched them and I saw them growing as leaders to the other staff. And I thought, you know, they'd make great partners. And I knew I wanted to keep going and do more and more and more and just see, because to me, I say it's kind of like playing a game and I want to see how much I can win the game. Mm -hmm. And I knew I couldn't do it alone because, you know, running one, sometimes just having somebody to bounce off of and to, because a lot of husband and wives own salons together. Well, my husband owns his own business. He didn't want any part of the salon industry. He doesn't even like to come in and get his haircut. So <laughs> that wasn't an option. So I thought, you know, these three girls have shown that all three had different skill sets and they had shown, they didn't come to me. I went to them and I said, Hey, you know, I see your leadership skills, your creativity, your one of them super calm. One of them, we call her the cupcake girl. She rewards everybody with cupcakes and, you know, is all flowers and roses to everybody. And which I'm not at all. So we needed that too. You know, somebody to be the soft when you're the hard, you know, you're the more, the, not the lenient one. You need somebody to have a softer side with the staff. So when I went to them, they were all like, yeah, let's do it. They didn't even think twice. So I don't know in their minds, and Allie can answer that if they were thinking about being owners, but and the minute I said to them, hey, you know, we have to do this together, they said, yeah, let's do it. And, and what, do you finance them into it, if you don't mind me asking, or do you say, look, we're going to open up the salon, it's going to cost 100 grand to fit it out or whatever the number is, and you need to go away and get a bank loan, or do you finance them into it? How does that work, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I felt like they needed to have skin in the game just like I did. Yeah. So we went into it and I said, this is what it's going to cost. And number one, can you get the money mm -hmm. and to borrow the money? And they said, yeah, let us work on it. And they did. And they all came up with the money. Wow. So Fantastic. we all four went in 25, 25, 25. And yep. we actually have two others right now that are wanting to come in with us also. But uh, we're, we're waiting. We'd already probably done it with them so we can mm -hmm. open some more. Yep. But COVID put a little damper in our plan and we're going to wait and just make sure, you know, there are no more lockdowns, mm. but I'll tell you, COVID hasn't set us back. We're still on the roll to be great. Good. Good. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. So Ali, how do you create a team culture? What, what, what are the, there were three things that you said that you were saying to a salon owner, these are the three things you need to do to create a team culture. What would those things be? I know I'm putting you right on the spot with these questions, but. No, that's great. I would say first one, communication. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that we have really, really figured, even just with the transparency of what Sonia's talking about. Communication. Um, and what does that look like? Do, you know, when you say communication, do you, do you mean, you know, uh, morning huddles every day, weekly meetings, notice boards, Facebook groups. I mean, what does that what does that look like when you say communication? All of the above, Anthony. Okay. Uh, Facebook, different apps to connect with, and it can be work related or just personal related. Um, communication. I would definitely say um, customer service. That would definitely be my second one for our team. And I feel that the people that we get in here to work with, they're already people pleasers. So I think that's an easy one to add. Communication. 
Yeah, and employing people that are already people pleasers. That's a that's a. Re- I always say that to people. It's easier to find someone who shares your values than it is to try and change someone's values once you've got them working for you. So that's a very very really good point to to employ people that are people pleasers. Do, do you think that you know? Young people today, or not necessarily young people, but no, actually, yeah, young people. What what is different about young people today from an employee-employer perspective? What what are their needs and expectations that you see, you know, in in Gen Z today that maybe wasn't an issue ten or fifteen years ago? How have you had to change your management style and the way you structure your business, etc.? I think that they are a little more needy. Not that it's a bad thing, but I think they're more needy in the fact that they need somebody to be supportive of them. They need um, to have more time away. They're all about experience. And I don't feel that, not that anybody's lazy. I just feel like they want to work differently. They don't want to work as much or Mm -hmm. as long a day. So working in these shifts that we do, I think it's great. And they get to still have a life outside of work. Yeah. That's two big things that I see is their time management um, and how they spend their time and what they need from salon owners or just as, um, as mentors. Yeah. So if you've got two shifts in a day, so two six-hour shifts, is there an obvious uh, um gravitating towards one of those shifts for younger people? Like, do they want to be in the afternoon, evening shift or the morning shift? I, afternoon for sure yeah that's we what usually i usually have the younger ones do like three evenings uh tuesday wednesday thursday we're open till eight and they do at least two of those and then fridays we we have a till six shift and they do that friday shift okay. too okay so it works you know, for some people doesn't it it's an advantage for some people to work evenings. Whereas if you're a, a 30-year-old and you've got a two-year-old at home waiting for you, you'd probably rather come in, do the morning shift and be at home from, I don't know, one o'clock in the afternoon or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. Okay. Something that we're working on, Anthony, too, with younger people that we didn't realize, but I really think what just happened to the salons with the social media um, dynamic that we had was we need to make sure that the the team know that we are people too because when they want to leave and when they want to be like that that i think they looked at us as a business not an individual person that was hurt by that so we really are trying to rebalance and go back in and let them know that hey we're people too we're not it's not hollywood hair the company it's Sonia, Allie, Abby, Jess, Shannon, Josh, Barry, Rachel. Those are our managers too. It's all of us make this team up and we're all right here with you, actually helping you all day, help you with your formulas, help you do your toning, all of that. Work constantly with them. But it seems like they had a little selective judgment on, we're just doing this to Hollywood here, the company. We're not doing it to those people that we have dinner with. And that we went to their baby showers and their bridal showers, their weddings. They kind of let that go. So we're making sure that going forward, they know we're the people behind that name. And we do. We're here with you. We have feelings too. And this is not just a business. This is a people business. And we're the people in the business. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Let me just talk to you a bit. We're, we're, near, we're sort of coming towards the end. Uh, and I know you said I could ask you about anything at all. So uh, that's great because I love talking numbers with people. Um, and I know you've got a good handle on business and you've got three different salons now. So, so what, in your experience, what sort of profit margin is realistic for salons to achieve after the owner has been paid? Because a lot of salon owners tell me they make a profit, but really what they're talking about is their wages, not profit. So as a percentage of total sales, what would you be saying is a realistic percentage uh, that salons should make? And we both know that most salons you know, are making you know, 4 or 5% profit margins on average, but, but what would your benchmark be and what would you say is achievable and what people should aim for? What we're aiming for is 20% because there are four of us. And if we can get the salons to say 2 million, you know, 20% would be split four ways, the profit. And so after, after the director's salaries and everything, that's 20% is after all those other overhead is profit. Yes, because how we do it now, and because we did just open the salons, we are, you know, we have debt to pay back. Um, we do, we take checks based right now, according to what we do behind the chair at all, mm -hmm. four, uh, all three locations. That's how we're getting paid. And then this year we were actually last year, we were able to take some mileage benefits, just a little, not much mm -hmm. because we wanted to leave it in there, which thank goodness we did. So we yeah. had money to pay all of our bills for COVID. Sure. And, um, Going forward, though, we're getting ready to add something new. In fact, as soon as we get finished with your call, we have a demo from Salon Scale. I feel like going forward, the salons need to have a system for color usage because right now how we charge people is, is we have a set price. We have three, a level system, but we have a set price. But if they get an extra bowl of color, it's $10. Mm -hmm. But we're paying commission on that color, that extra bowl. So yep. we're gonna change things up and we'll let you know how it goes because we're yep. just getting started to this, but we're gonna do it more like a car dealership does it where when you take your car in to be serviced, you pay the labor, the commission on the labor and then the client pays the parts cost. So our parts would be our color. So we're just diving into that and we're gonna see where that takes us for our profit because I feel we're pretty good money managers and none of us are big spenders. We don't go out and buy extravagant things or anything like that. So profit is definitely there for us right now, but we want to see more of it because I think the more we see of it, the more enticed we're going to be to make it great for everybody. Yeah. Well, I did an, I don't know if you know this, I did an interview with uh, Alicia Soulier, who is the owner of uh, Salon Scale. And it's one of my podcasts. So it's episode 18. If anyone's listening to this, I want to check it out because uh, I, I think uh, that Salon Scale is great. And I think that Alicia's um, you know, business acumen that she brings to it as a former salon owner makes a lot of sense. And you know, everything you just spoke about then, we go into in a lot of detail on that podcast. So uh, episode 18 on the Grow My Salon Business podcast, if you haven't heard it. Okay. So um, where, where were we? I... Um, what, what, what other technology um, is there that you're, I mean, you know, that, that app, Salon Scale, um, is a great little app. Is there any other technology that you're using in the salon that, that you think has, you know, been really beneficial that you've picked up on? 
We do have our app that clients can download. And there, of course, you can scratch and win. You can um, check your appointments. You can make your appointments. And we're also going to put in there. We've got our team on there. And we want our, our associates and our uh, team to be able to communicate with each other on there. So you scratch know, and win. Oh, hang on, I'm curious about that. What's your you, you sort of talk about it as if everyone will know what you mean uh, on your app? There's a scratch and win. What? What? Tell me about that. You can scratch daily, and we have clients that are on there every single day. They win treatments. They win uh, money off of their take home purchases. They can win brow shaping. It wow. is really cool, and they right just they get an email that with the with the confirmation, and they show it when they they show the front desk when they come in. Yeah, yeah. Very clever. Um, uh, Sonia, when we talk about expansion, I often talk to salon owners that want to expand. What, what would your advice be to them to be about what is the best way to expand? I think the best way to expand is to keep it close because something that's working really well for us is, is if we have somebody that, like, when you have new team members, Sometimes I feel like they need a change of scenery. Like they're not somebody that you just write off and, okay, we're going to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. I think we bring them to the hub, which is Centralia. You know, it's the busiest salon. We see the most clients every day. So if we have somebody that we feel is just lagging at the other salons, we say, hey, we're going to use you over in Centralia a couple of days a week. And we bring them over here. We keep a great eye on them, keep them really busy, mm -hmm. try to see if we can bring out of them what we're not seeing at the other salons, but we're all pretty close together. So yeah. the other thing too is, is like, say in Centralia, we do huge weddings. We'll do 20 people wedding. We had a, we had a bus pull up and drop 42 people off for a wedding and then come back and pick them up. We can bring team members from the other two salons over to help us when that happens. So yeah. I think keep them kind of close together. That's definitely going to be our demographic. We're not going to reach out too far where somebody has to get in a car and go for two hours. We're going to keep them all within an hour and also make sure your core team, your leadership team is all on board and you can all work together really well. And like Ali said, the main thing we've all found is communication is key. We talk to each other every day. Yeah. yeah. Every day, our so, days off, everything. Yeah. When you talk about uh, making sure people are really busy, what does that look like in terms of numbers? So a stylist working for you, a full-time stylist working five days a week, um, you know, 35, 40 hours, whatever full-time represents in your business. What sort of total sales would you expect that person to produce a week as an average figure? Well, something that I'm trying to teach myself is, is not everybody wants to be a $100,000 stylist. We yeah. have some that are. Yeah. And some of us owners are. Mm. So we can show them how to do it. You have to really put in the effort. You have to work. You know, you yeah. have to be all about it. Your social media game's got to be strong. You've got to constantly be getting some new people in your chair. But there are some girls that want to do 50,000 and that's okay too. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, profit wise, I see the $50,000 stylists are making us just as much as the hundred, the hundred are more needy. They need more help. They need, you know, they need more stuff from us. So, it's okay if you want to work six hours a day and you want to be a $50,000 stylist. I think the main thing that we're looking for in teammates is passion. We want them to have that. And then the rest will spell out in dollars to them. 
Mm. So just to be clear, when you talk about a $100,000 stylist, are you talking about that's what they're earning or that's what they're generating in total sales a year? That's what they're earning. They that's bring in 200. Yeah. Yes. They bring, right. Okay. So it, it's, it's quite, so, so as a, as a weekly figure, you have plenty of people doing two to 3000 every week in yes. sales, service sales. And you've got some that are doing four to five. Right. Yes. Right. Four to $5,000 a week. So, and, and they're walking out the door at the end of the year with a hundred grand plus because they've earned it with their productivity behind the chair. Yeah. Yes. That's fantastic. And, and it's even more fantastic when you just emphasize that Centralia is a town in Illinois with a population of 12,000 people, because that's good money in any language to be earning that sort of money. And it can be done anywhere because that's often the excuse people have. They say, oh, well, you might be able to do that in London or New York or Sydney or Chicago or Melbourne or whatever. But when you're talking about you know, but I'm in a little town in Illinois and there's only 12,000 people. People won't pay that or people won't buy that. And it's great to see an example of, listen, it doesn't matter where you're based. You know, people are people. Clients want good hair. Clients will buy retail. Clients want good service. And, and we produce all that. We generate the, uh, the sales to pay people really well and to generate a phenomenal profit margin because there's very few salons that are generating the sort of profit margin you are. So, look, on that note, um, unfortunately, we need to uh, wrap up. I really want to uh, thank you so much for being such an open book and, and sharing everything, you know, about your business. And um, I'm sure a lot of people will listen to this and take inspiration from it. W where can people connect with you on Instagram or other social media channels? Anthony, they can find us on Instagram at Hollywood Hair Salon, where we have three different Facebook pages, and they're Hollywood Hair Salon and Spa. Our website is probably the most easiest, and it is beautiful. It is HollywoodHairSalonAndSpa.com. Fantastic. Okay. Well, I will put those links uh, in the show notes. And um, if anyone wants to, to click on them and check you out, which I'm sure they will, uh, then that's probably going to be the easiest way for them to uh, to do that if they, if they miss writing it down or if they're driving the car or whatever at the moment. So to wrap up, um, have you got any final words for our listeners, uh, Ali, Sonia, anything that you'd like to wrap up with? You know, Anthony, I um, listen to your podcast all the time. And you said to us at the beginning that sometimes you hear all the good, you know, when you're and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, everything for them is perfect. Mm. And I don't think anything is perfect for any of us always. But it's how we look at it, how we choose to make it is what makes us great. And listening to you and you know, hearing all the, the people that you've interviewed and the stories that they bring have really helped us grow. So we thank you for that. And, you know, I hope people will tune in to see if we make a blunder of our virtual open house, November 30th, <laughs> uh, or if we do fantastic so that they could steal that idea and take run from it, you know, learn from it too. So 
Yeah, well, I'm sure lots of people will. And uh, I've often admired your, you know, your thinking about the industry and your your marketing initiatives that you come up with and your share ability to roll up your sleeves and, and get in there and make it happen. So uh, congratulations on that. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of people that get inspired by your message. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Ali and Sonia, for being on this episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.